Good morning. How are you all doing? Good. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're in verse, uh, starting in verse 19 of 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this morning that we can come and worship you. Thank you that we have uh, a kids play that we're going to get the opportunity to um, afterwards share with friends and family the hope of the gospel. We pray for that message to go forth and plant seeds in people's lives and that fruit would be born uh, by your spirit, God, by your word, Lord. To do that, we ask, thanks God that we have the privilege to hear your word and we do ask you to give us ears to hear from you, Lord. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. And thank you, Lord, that you are so good to us to save us from our sin, to save us from our wretchedness, to save us from just the ugliness of the stupidity and willful bad decisions and sin that we choose, Lord, sadly, instead of you at times, God. Forgive us for that. Forgive us for walking in ignorance at times, God. Open up our eyes. Open up our eyes, Lord, uh, to see you clearly. Lord, cleanse our hearts completely, fully, and righteously for your glory. Continue, Lord, to be with us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we've been talking about doing life together the last uh, few weeks, doing life together as a body. And uh, here's my question, actually. Is doing life together easy? No. <laughs> you guys didn't even like hesitate on that one. So why is it, why is it so hard? Because of people. <laughs> because of all the other people. It'd be easy to go to church and, and worship the Lord if all the other people weren't there, right? <laughs> yeah, doing life together is hard. Um, if you uh, are in any family and, you got, and you're living in a house with parents, that can be challenging. If you've got brothers or sisters and living with them, that can be challenging. If you've got kids, you're living with them, that can be really challenging. Uh, it, it's challenging doing life together. It doesn't matter what group of people you decide to do life together with. It's challenging. And if we're honest, we're a part of that reason that it's challenging, right? And I think actually as soon as we can admit that fully that it makes doing life together a little bit more easy because we are willing to give other people grace, knowing that we need it too. So let's make sure that as we're working through this, like, yeah, we realize life together is challenging, but we are called, as the body of Christ, to do life together. So yeah, it's going to be messy, it's going to be tough, it's going to be hard, but remember that when we do life together, that is a loud, shouting testimony to the world, and to one another, that Christ lives, that he's still on the throne, and that he can bring people from all different backgrounds and, and, and all different ages together. And we can be in unity with our community. So we've been looking at that the last few weeks. We've been looking at how do we worship together. We've been looking at what does it look like for us to fellowship with one another. We've been looking, like, looking at how do we minister to one another so last week we looked at quenching the Spirit, and we looked at seven ways not to quench the Spirit. This week we're going to look at spoken words, 
and specifically the command that we get in verse 20, do not despise prophecies. Now, we're going to do a brief review and an overview of these four verses. There's two negative commands. They are warning us against an outright rejection of prophecy, and they are warning us regarding how we receive the Word of God and what we do with it once we receive it. So our, our church gathers together, right? And the Lord is doing something in our midst, and we want to hear, have the Spirit present among us, yes? yes. Right? Yes. And we want to be filled with the Spirit, right? And we are hearing spoken words directed to us. Well, what are we told? We are told, do not quench the Spirit. We are told, do not despise prophecies. In other words, don't shut down what the Spirit is trying to do. Don't shut it down. Then we get three positive commands. These positive commands warn us against an outright acceptance of any teaching by calling for it to be tested. So everything that occurs in a service, unfortunately, isn't always by the Spirit. Okay? Everything that occurs in a service isn't always by the Spirit. So we are told to test everything. We are told to hold fast what is good, and we are told to abstain from every form of evil. Now, prophecies. What are the prophecies? Now, as much as I want to do a full exposition, and I do mean that today on this word, um, I'm not going to. But here's what it is not. It's not exhortation. It's not preaching. It's not teaching. But it can contain elements of those things. Prophecy and exhortation, I'd say to some extent, but prophecy is more uh, spontaneous. Look at, just briefly, we're going to look at one passage, 1 Corinthians Chapter 14. So, I mean, there's a great flow of thought that Paul has that sometimes we can miss when we sometimes um, chop up our quiet times or chop up our Bible reading and just read, you know, a, a, a chapter here and a chapter there and a chapter there. So you get a lot more if you can get larger chunks because you can see the flow of thought. So it's actually um, quite beautiful, I would say. Uh, the way Paul sets everything up and the way he addresses the Corinthians. Because in, in 1 Corinthians 12, he's talking, he's actually, again, talking about body life. And if you really think about the epistles, that's a lot of what he is addressing is how to do life together. So he's, he's talking about body life, and he's talking about the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. So he's talking about us working together, being together, ministering to one another. And then he's talking, at the end of uh, chapter 12, he's talking about the different gifts of the Spirit. He says at the very last verse in chapter 12, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will still show you a more excellent way. And then what does he do for chapter 13? That's the love chapter, right? And he talks about love. You can have all those. You can be the greatest of the greatest of the greatest of whatever gift you think is the greatest. But if you don't have love, then you don't have anything. Okay, so he talks about love. Then he wraps up chapter 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Then... Sometimes we just stop there, and that can be unfortunate if we stop there, because look at the very next couple words, chapter 14, verse 1, pursue what? Love, which makes sense, right, because he just gave us the exposition that if you don't have the love, then, then you're totally missing the entire boat. So pursue love, 
And then he tells us, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So it's not one or the other. It's not like, oh, I'm going to do love, but not spiritual gifts, or I'm going to do spiritual gifts and not love. He's like, no, pursue the love, but still desire spiritual gifts. And then he says, look at this, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he others mysteries in his spirit, or excuse me, in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So there's a little bit of a polemic, and he's talking about speaking against uh, tongues here. But he's contrasting that with speaking basically intelligible words, and that's what he goes on to say. I'd rather speak five intelligible words in the presence of God's people than 10,000 unintelligible words. Why? Because it's back to verse 13. It needs to be for their upbuilding, for their encouragement, and for their consolation. So we start to see an idea of what the intended goal is for prophecy. It should have this as its goal, the upbuilding and encouragement and consolation that Paul talks about here in verse 3. This is the same word that's used back in 1 Thessalonians. It's really what we might call a transliteration. So the Greek word sounds very much like the English word. It's propheteos. So we just kind of almost like adopted that word almost right into our English language. Propheteos, we just call it prophecies. We call it prophets, right? So it just kind of slides right over into our language. But it needs, prophecies need to contain the elements that Paul mentions here. Upbuilding, encouragement, consolation. Now, if you think about it, can you see how there's some, some overlap with exhortation? And we can even be tempted if we want especially uh, some, some that are maybe less charismatic, to kind of try to combine those. Um, Paul mentions both of them in Romans 12 in the same verse, so he clearly delineates the two. So there is a difference between exhortation and prophecy, but there's some overlap too. Exhortation is going to have, uh, as part of its goal, the upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation as well. So let's, let's give it a definition here. When we talk about prophecies, it's, it's a word given to a believer by God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. A word given to a believer by God through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then I would add, with the aim being uh, quite a number of things. Guidance, direction, edification, encouragement, consolation, and even witness. That's why Paul goes on later in chapter 14. If you look, uh, let's pick it up. In verse 23, he says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? And, 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 and he's expecting us to say, yeah, they will. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Again, we get a, a picture and an idea of what the prophecy should be, that if an unbeliever was in their midst, whatever word is being delivered would be something that could convict an unbeliever. So a lot of times we think of prophecies as like foretelling. Um, that can be an aspect of prophecy when you think Old Testament. A lot of times it's not so much foretelling as forthtelling, already proclaiming that which God has revealed to us. So it's a word given to a believer by God through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If we wanted to put this positively about don't, 
despise prophecies, we, we could put it positively as, as receive prophecies. Now, our approach to hearing the word from others is important. Our approach to hearing the word from others. If someone uh, has a word to share, we want to give them an opportunity to share that in the right context. And we've had people at times before, even during the service, come up and they'd be like, Pastor, I have something to share I'd like to share. And I usually just say, hey, just give me like the five-second or ten-second version. They run it by me, and if, if I feel like it's from the Lord, we'll let them share it. Why? Because we don't want to despise prophecies. We're open to the Lord speaking through someone a word that maybe we need to hear. Hopefully every week you have that belief when I get up here and open my mouth. That you think there's a word that the Lord has that he wants you to hear. So our approach to hearing the word from others is important. One, when we come into the assembly, we need to come with a willingness to learn. A willingness to learn. Do you remember what the Lord taught you on the third Sunday in April this year? Now you might, if you had jotted down a note or two, even after the sermon, maybe on Monday during your quiet time, hey, what's one or two things that, that I got out of the sermon on Sunday? And then you could look back. You know, some of you are great about journaling. Some of you are really good about it. Uh, my dad, when he was still alive and he attended church here, I mean, he'd come with a notebook every time. And I mean, he took tons of notes, tons and tons of notes. But then afterwards, he'd be like, hey, what, when you said this, what were you talking about? Or what did this verse mean? Or how did this time? I mean, he had questions. He was trying to learn. He had a willingness to learn. But we also need to come with an eagerness to learn. Let me tell you this. In my opinion, what you do 30 minutes before the service might be the single most important thing for preparing you for the service that day. Because sometimes like we rush into the sanctuary and we're like trying to jam our kids into the car and you know we're walking out and we're all mad and, and we kick the dog and, and yell at the kids and yell at our wife. We, what happens? We come into here like all frazzled. And we're, we're, not in, we're not walking in the spirit, that's for sure. We're out of the spirit. And we're coming to here all frazzled. And then what, is it, what normally happens? It takes us like uh, one song or two songs or three songs or the first part of worship just to get in the right place where the Lord needs us to be to hear from him. So maybe setting up our, our time before the service to make sure that we are putting ourselves in the best position possible to hear accurately from the Lord and not have the distractions of, of everything in the world going on. So that might mean different things for some of you. Some of you, maybe you need to get here a little bit earlier. Some of you, you might just want to come in at 1025 or 1028 or something and spend a few minutes in prayer. Not, not for our benefit, though, please pray for us, but for your benefit. And ask for the Lord to, to calm your spirit, to direct your thoughts towards him, and to set your heart on things above. So come with an eagerness to learn. Listen, starting with the call to worship, Starting with the call, y'all know what the call to worship is, right? That's when justice greets us and he has a, a scripture or an exhortation that he gives for us. That's just not something that's just like, oh, it's like a formality we got to go through so that we can start the first strum on the guitar or the first chord on the piano. No, I mean, that is us beginning corporately to engage with the living God. 
So we need to receive that word. Whatever word that is helps us to enter his presence. So we need to come with a willingness to learn. We need to come with an eagerness to learn. We need to come with a, with a, with a zeal to learn. Remember what Jesus said? Zeal for your house has consumed me. Zeal for your house has consumed me. What about us? Because his zeal led him to a certain course of action. Our zeal should lead us to a certain course of action. And, 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 and believers, let me tell you something. Apathy is poison to the believing heart. Apathy is poison to the believing heart. So, so we, need, we, we need to throw it aside. We need to toss it out, and we need to ignore its siren call because apathy will come calling. And we think, oh, oh, it's, it's so easy. Uh, you know, just be lazy. Uh, it's no big deal. Who cares? I don't care. You don't care. You know, let's just take one more day off. I mean, that's apathy. And it sings a song that lures many in. We need to plug our ears to its tune. Plug our ears to it. Because we're surrounded by a culture that hates the word of God. And, and one theologian talks about it. He says there's a red laser dot on your Bible. And the culture is coming for it. And if they're coming for that, they're coming for you. So the ca- cancel culture, it wants to cancel the Bible. It, it wants to cancel all things that are part of true Christianity. And this culture despises anything that impinges their lusts and desires. Anything that tries to restrain their sinful flesh. They despise prophecies. They despise the word of God. They despise any true teaching regarding the scriptures. Now true, you know, they'll mask it at times. And, oh, I, we, you know, I like Jesus or I like what he says in the gospels. Until you t- point out certain words that he says. Like, no one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says. Until you point out that he says, you know, I'm, I, I was reading through John this, uh, about, a, well, about a week and a half ago. And I decided as I was reading through it, I was going to write down every reference that indicated the deity of Christ. And I, I forget, I didn't count, but there's like 15 or 20 just in, just in the book of John. All these references where Jesus is making it clear. And one of the things that he says is, he who hates me, what? Hates the Father. You hate Jesus, you hate the Father. Okay? You, you, can't, you can't divide the Father apart from the Son. You, you just can't. And people try to do that. So, you know, people will say, oh, I'm good with Jesus until you actually show them what Jesus actually said. And then they got a problem with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, don't despise the word of God. And don't despise when others speak a word to you. And it's a word you don't want to hear. I was sitting in my office earlier today preparing for this sermon. And it was as I was kind of meditating on on what I was going to say. I realized more and more 
you know, people receive the words they want to hear. And they reject the words they don't want to hear. I mean, it's true of the culture, but let's just be honest. That's true of us sometimes. So we receive the words we want to hear, and then we're like, oh, we hear a word we don't want. Ah, nope, not, not receiving it. Like, like, let's not do that. That is despising the Spirit and the word that he is speaking. That quenches the Spirit. So don't despise the word, not a single part of it. If someone delivers you a word, you need to receive it. And there are people in here, let me tell you, there are people in here that love you, that want to give you a biblical word, but they know you won't receive it. So they don't give it to you. You're missing out. But guess what? They know you will despise the word. So they think to themselves, why bother? Don't quench the spirit in that way. If you do so, it is a cancer to your soul. And there might be parts of God's word you don't like, but guess where the problem lies? With us. Okay? Not the word of God. Like, if you think about it, you know, someone sends you an email. Your friend John sends you an email, and you're like, man, I I got a problem with the email that John sent me. Well, what does that mean? It means you got a problem with John. Right? John sends you an email, you didn't like the contents of the email, so you really got a problem with John. Well, it's the same thing. If you got a problem with the Word of God, guess what? You got a problem with God. It's His Word. Here's the answer. I like how it says it in, in Philippians 3.15. It always kind of makes me laugh a little bit. But Paul's writing, and he's like, let those of us who are mature think this way. So, I mean, he's given them this instruction. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. I mean, so what is he saying? Like, hey, if you're really grown in the Lord, you're going to realize that these words that I'm writing, right, are true and faithful. But if you think otherwise, guess what? God, God if you're seeking him, he's going to reveal that to you. What's he saying? Like, we need to pray like, Lord, change my heart on these things. I want to be one of the mature ones. So what, what can you not dispute with? It's the authoritative scripture. But what can you dispute? The word that someone gives. That's why the very next verse, look back at it because I want you to see it for yourselves, back in 1 Thessalonians. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but, 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 test everything. Test everything. Not some things, not a part of it. No, test everything, he says. Everything. And what regards what to the prophecies that were just given? So notice something about these prophecies. They are to be tested. Elsewhere, Paul tells us, you know, this is the word of God and you need to follow it, right? But here he's saying, hey, if someone stands up and has a word to share, that needs to be tested. Why? because it might not be from the Spirit. That person who thinks they're speaking from the Spirit might actually be quenching the Spirit by speaking something that's not from the Spirit. So Paul knows people will abuse the use of prophecies you know, for their own nefarious purposes. One theologian says it like this, despite the fact that the ministries of the Spirit 
can be abused in the Christian community, Paul's own deep appreciation for the central role of the Spirit in individual and corporate life will not allow for correcting abuse by commanding disuse. Rather, the antidote for abuse is proper use. In other words, we're not going to throw out the baby with the bathwater. There's a proper use, and just because people abuse it, we won't stop using it altogether. The Spirit wants to do His work, and we want to be a part of it. So how do you test the prophecies? That's what he tells us to do, test the prophecies. First, does it line up with Scripture? I mean, anytime anyone's sharing a word, me included, right here, does it line up with Scripture? Test everything. Test it against Scripture. Second, what is the fruit of the prophecy given? That goes back to 1 Corinthians 14.3. Is it strengthening? Is it encouraging? Is it comforting? Is it building up? But here's the application with the test everything. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe it. Now, the danger, even with a sermon like this, is, is making everyone a cynic and a critic. And you just sit around, you know, with your little, no, okay, that's not right, and that's not right, and that's not right, and that's not right. Th- that makes you a cynic, and it makes you a critic, okay? Um, you read some, some, some book on some theological topic, and then a couple weeks later, your pastor is giving a sermon on it, and you think you know more than him. And you might. Um, but that, that's that critical spirit that you've got to guard against. So does the word that you are hearing line up with the word of God? Now, I actually believe there's kind of uh, two edges of the field that you've got to avoid. You know, there's churches where, unless the senior pastor says it, like, it bears no weight. You know, it's like, oh, well, uh, the senior pastor, he's not preaching this week, so, uh, well, hopefully we can get something out of the sermon. You know, or someone stands up to, to share something, and it's like, oh, that's not the senior pastor, right? And even then, in a church like that, the senior pastor's words, I mean, even they come under fire and scrutiny and criticism. But, but then on the other edge of the field, you got the church where anything and everything uttered is accepted without reservation or question. So if someone begins with, the Lord told me, or the Lord showed me, or the Lord revealed to me, then it is taken without once testing the words that are spoken. You know, that's got to be from God because the person said, the Lord told me. Let me say something. You are not bound to any word that a person speaks unless it is also explicitly stated in Scripture. This is the testing part. So if someone comes up to you and says, God told me you're supposed to be a missionary. Or God told me you're supposed to quit your job. I, I, it is interesting. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to poke fun a little bit. But it's always interesting that God's telling certain people about what other people are supposed to do. Does he ever talk to them about what they're supposed to do? What about them being a missionary and quitting their job and selling their house? But anyway, <clears throat> I digress. But, but you're not bound to that word. You are not bound to that word. Okay, let me be clear. That word might be true. Maybe the Lord did speak to that person. And he could be speaking through that person. And God might want you to do a particular thing. And God might speak through someone else. But the weight of their word does not carry the same weight as Scripture. Nowhere close. Okay, They're not speaking Scripture. Unless they just 
actually quote a verse to you, commanding you to do what that verse says. You know, rejoice always, okay? You don't have to abide by it. You, you need to test it. You need to test it. And then the next part is hold fast to that which is good, right? We'll, we'll probably get into that next week more. But, but you hold fast to the good things, but you test it. And, and I, I'm just going to be honest. Like, I've had people tell me that they think they're supposed to be a pastor here. Others have told me they think they're supposed to preach in this pulpit here. I mean, what am I supposed to do? I mean, and it's from the Lord, right? The Lord told me. The Lord told me. The Lord told me. Like, what am I supposed to do? Oh, okay, we'll just make you a pastor because the Lord told you that. I mean, I mean maybe, maybe the Lord is telling them that. I mean, I just, oh, the Lord told you you're supposed to preach. I'll just, I'll just, you know, here you go. Like, again, that's the testing part. Now, it's very possible I could meditate on it, pray about it, and come to the conclusion that that's accurate. But that's after the testing. So, and, and why are we testing? Why? Because, as you know, some of these people, some, have not always heard from the Lord. They've not always heard from the Lord. They heard what they wanted to hear, but it wasn't from the Lord. I mean, people have gotten married because someone got a word from the Lord. And the person said, Beth, you're, you're supposed to marry Frankie. And Beth doesn't even know Frankie. She doesn't even like Frankie. But they put so much stock in that word from that person that they just followed through without any testing. So she marries Frankie. Doesn't end well. Yeah, does this really happen? Actually, it does. A lot more than you realize. Listen, this, this passage shows us, and this, let me be clear, this passage shows us that the prophetic utterances in the early church were not, were not, were not, hear me, were not given the same authority as Scripture. When the Scripture is given, what do we do? We accept it, we receive it, we believe it, we practice it, we follow it out. When a prophecy is given, what do we do? We test it. That's why later in 1 Corinthians in 14, when Paul's talking about, still in the context of the prophecies, he says, let the others weigh what is said. Same thing. That's the idea. Now, here's the thing, friends. When we're talking about this in the broader context of, of hearing from the Spirit, of wanting to hear from Him clearly, of wanting the Word given to us, if I said, do you all want preaching from the Word of God? I mean, if you're a believer, you're going to say, oh, yes, right? But here's the question. What kind of preaching do you want? Because the challenge isn't, in a certain context, the challenge isn't preaching the Word of God. Okay, I mean, a pastor can preach for 20 years and never once mention any topic that might get any sort of backlash. And that's sad. And let me tell you, don't go to church like that. I mean, he's just preaching what you want to hear. Uh, you need preaching that you need to hear. All right? So, if, I mean, if you're just going week after week and you're always hearing what you want to hear, that, I mean, that's not good. That's not good. You need preaching that you need to hear. And you need preaching that, that pricks your conscience. You need preaching that, that convicts you of your sins. You need preaching that makes you check where your own heart is at before God. And if you're not hearing that, well, actually, it's possible that you've plugged your ears. Okay. So before you point the finger at the pastor, 
maybe point the finger at yourself, is you might got your ears plugged. But the pastor should preach against sins outside the camp and inside the camp. Why preach outside the camp? So that the sins outside the camp don't come inside the camp. Why preach about the sins inside the camp so that the sins inside the camp are dealt with? And some pastors only preach against sins outside the camp. You know, never like, oh, my, my pastor won't hold back. He won't hold back. He gives it to us straight. Well, I mean, it doesn't do much good to always preach against sins that no one in your congregation is doing, right? So he needs to preach against your sins. He needs to preach about your weaknesses. He needs to step on some toes. And that, if we are willing, is what the Spirit will do to us. He will speak, and he will use frail instruments and jars of clay like me and others to deliver the word that we need to hear. That we need to hear. We might not want to hear it, but we need to hear it. And then we need to receive it. Then we need to walk it out. You know, a a number of times, Jesus, in the Gospels, he says, he who has ears to hear, what does he say? Let him hear. All right? So, I mean, you got the ears to hear, right? But are you hearing it? Are you really hearing it? So our, our, our cry needs to be, Lord, like, give us those ears. Give us those ears to hear. When we plug our ears to God's word, are we not guilty of the very thing Jesus is warning us about? He's giving us the ears, but we're not hearing. So we don't, we don't quench anything that is true, but we also don't accept anything that is false. We test it. Now, once we've tested it, if it's in accordance with Scripture, we follow it out, we walk it out, we live accordingly. We want to have hearts that receive the Word. We want to have hearts that that walk in the Spirit so we do not quench the Spirit. We want to be willing to walk in that way, to receive God's Word spoken through His people for us. What's that for? For the building up for the encouraging, for the strengthening of the body. I mean, it's part of of body life, of us doing life together. We want to have hearts that receive the word and that walk in the truth. Friends, this is possible only by the Spirit of God. I mean, you take away the Spirit from all this, like we're, we're toast. We need the Spirit filling us. I mean, we're even commanded in Ephesians, right? Be filled with the Spirit. So we want to be filled by the Spirit so that we can walk in the Spirit, so that we can hear words and judge properly and receive those words that are actually legit, right, proper, from the Scriptures, grounded in them, and then walk in those ways. That's life in the Spirit. And that's what we want. When we're talking about life together, we want life in the Spirit together. We want to walk in His ways together. We want to glorify God's holy name together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your spirit. Thank you, spirit, for filling us, for regenerating us, 
for strengthening us to walk in the ways of God himself. Thank you that you, we have your word, and it is the measure, the standard, the guide by which we judge all things, by which we test everything. Father, we do pray that you would give us ears to hear from you, that we would see you, Lord, working in the midst of us, that we would be drawn closer to you, that we would come to the service, come to the fellowship, Lord, with an eagerness and a zeal and a willingness to learn. Lord, we want to be taught by you. We want to be instructed by you. And we want to know you more. And we ask that you would do this, Lord. Amen.